Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We're co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Stimmy and Andy Laker. How's it going, Andy? Hey, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well also. Thank you. We are now on episode seven of season four of Cheers. It is too good to be for real with the two, two, and four in numerals rather than words. <laughs> did anyone else grimace a little bit when they read the title? I did. It's, it's, I just slightly. Yeah, yeah. It made me think what Diane would think of that title. Oh, that's a great observation. I understand why they did it that way, but still, mm-hmm. it's like, oh. Yeah, I know. It's a little, <laughs> yeah. It was written by Peter Casey and David Lee. It's directed by James Burroughs and aired on November 14th, 1985. And the log line is Carla admits that she is having trouble finding a date through the personal ads. So Sam, Woody, Norm, and Cliff invent a great sounding man to write letters to her in order to boost her spirits. Diane, who thinks their plan is a bad idea, is otherwise engaged with her mime class, although she pronounces it meme instead of mime. And with the visiting mime or meme artist that she has invited to perform at Cheers to this May of Sam and all of the patrons. So we start with a teaser of, it's another one that kind of gets on the edges of this idea of Sam aging. Woody volunteers to carry a heavy box that Sam's carrying and Sam tells Woody he's not as old as he looks, which kind of <laughs> surprises Woody. I thought that was funny. Woody's like, really? <laughs> and then... At this point, Diane invites Sam to use an extra ticket she has for a production called Jacques Grell is Alive and Well and Living in Paris. So <laughs> Sam asks if he isn't doing that underwater stuff anymore, <laughs> which I really like confusing him with Jacques Cousteau, I guess. Right. So Diane laughs. She, it, she's, it's a little overdone. She's just like, oh, laughs merrily. And then she tells Sam that Jacques, Bre- Jacques Brel was a Belgian balladeer. He wrote songs of great passion and power, she says, in the 1950s and 60s. So Sam names Who Put the Bop in the Bop, She Bop, She Bop as an example of such a song. (laughs) So Diane's like, ah, so you're busy. So Sam acknowledges that he pretty much doesn't want to go. So I didn't know if that was Diane inviting Sam to a performance with her. She said she has a spare ticket, but it sounds like she's kind of feeling out if he would be interested in going with her. I thought that was Mm, an interesting... I noticed that. Did you? Yeah. Is that what she thought as well? Yeah, she's sending mixed signals, mm-hmm. surprisingly, to all of us, I'm sure. <laughs> right. I mean, I thought it was just, it was friendly, but at the same time, you know, she's trying to get him to go to this performance that she knows that she will enjoy and probably it's not going to be his thing. Right. So I thought that was, that was it, it was it, more than you usually get from a teaser in terms of character motivation, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, Woody questions. He hears Sam name the song and he's like, who put the bop? And Sam tells Woody that it was a great old song and mentions also Yakety Yak. So Woody hasn't heard of any of these. And Sam is like, you know, just can't believe it. He goes through a list of bands, the Coasters, the Shirelles, the Platters, the Dixie Cups, like all of the kind of the 50s and 60s groups, really. And Woody knows none of them. Hmm. And so this surprises Sam. And he doesn't know any of the old groups. And Woody says like, oh, old, you mean like Devo. <laughs> so I liked that one. I did too. So Sam hands Woody the box and says, "Maybe you better take this." And then he kind of rubs his <laughs> neck as he goes back in the office as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you think of all of that? 
it was okay. I mean, it wasn't like super strong in my view. Right. I liked that line. I liked his Devo remark and the <laughs> subtleties in Sam's behavior. But it, you know, it was it was it was good. I mean, it was it was solid. I would say it's solid, but right. maybe a little forgettable. Yeah, it wasn't one of my favorites, but I, I think the aspect of it, kind of bringing up that Woody is now the young character and Sam's getting older, is interesting. Diane inviting right. Sam to something is a little bit interesting, and then. Just, yeah, the songs and Sam naming all the old songs. But, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of middle of the road-ish. But yeah, it's, exactly. It's that's, that's what I'd say. Yeah. So then when the episode starts, Sam is asking Diane what class she has today. She's getting to go to, to class. And then he adds, like, ah, sissy French painters of the 17th century. <laughs> <laughs> to tease yeah. her. I like that line. Mm-hmm. And then Diane reports that she's on her way to her beginning meme class. And then at, I think Woody says meme, and then she adds kind of in this condescending voice. Most people pronounce it mime, yes. and Woody doesn't know what mime is either. So and Sam doesn't have a high opinion of them. <laughs> um, and Diane says that everyone loves a meme, and Sam corrects her. He says that everyone loves a clown. Everyone hates a mime. So they've got this already got this kind of debate going at the outset, mm-hmm. and Diane thinks this just isn't so. <laughs> Then we have Norm telling the story about a guy on the common that he saw do an amazing performance of a mother crane feeding its young. <laughs> and you think that this is going to support Diane's, you know, because he's kind of stepped in to support her viewpoint of everyone loves mime. But he says it turns out that this guy was just choking on a piece of gum. <laughs> and he says, I was moved, frankly. Yeah. But just imagining that, I could see that looking like a mime imitating a mother crane feeding its young, someone ch- choking on a piece of gum. Mm-hmm. I could see that looking the same. Yeah, I could too. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so Cliff tells Norm that miming is an ancient art form that's been around since he says the times of Caesar Augustine. And I don't think, I didn't get that anyone noticed that he, I think, conflates Caesar like Caesar Augustine is he's putting together two people, isn't he? Uh huh. Yeah. Which I yeah, thought was hilarious. I, I, I at first no it took me. At first I watched that. I thought, wait a minute, that's it's Augustus, right? Yeah, <laughs> I doubted myself. Yeah, that's why I was like, still, I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. Augustine and Caesar Augustus are not at all the same human being, right? Yeah. I think it's, it's probably a- that nobody at the bar except Diane probably cares. <laughs> so they yeah. just kind of tuning them out. I liked but. it. That was, it's a, it's a good, it's a good line though. I think mm. I liked it. I think it's funny. So Cliff says that miming is the purest form of communication. And he asked Diane to give them a demonstration, you know, and she kind of fake protests a little bit, but then mm-hmm. goes from saying she's just a novice. And in the next breath, she says, all right. So all right. he introduces her as Diane, the Mimet. And then she goes into this person in a box routine. What and Cliff is narrating, which was hilarious. What yeah. did you think of this entire sketch that she's doing and that he's narrating? Uh, I mean, it worked with it worked with his comments on it because it, it it was actually kind of surprising because he starts off with this you know bombastic kind of you know let me tell you the history of and then he yeah. basically is making fun of her and and putting her on on show so um, I liked it I mean mm-hmm. I liked how he just kind of is condescending toward her and in his own way dismissive and how she responds with those glares of hers <laughs> <laughs> I know she does she's clearly frustrated. Um, because he's giving this very showy 
kind of pedestrian interpretation. You know, she's starting off here with your basic cop directing traffic. <laughs> Goes through yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> and yeah. finishes it with completing it with the midget imitating Judy Garland. <laughs> she's crouching down. She's got her hands kind of fanning from her face and arms close to her body. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, that's probably, it might be my favorite line in the episode. The cliff that saying that, that out, was, Diane. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good line. <laughs> yeah. And then so, I liked where she, um, what you were going to say next with it, with her doing that that symbol. I don't exactly know what you call it, where you put your thumb to your nose and wiggle oh, your yeah. fingers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of playful. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's obviously mad, but it was still sort of like a playful bar thing to do. And Cliff, underst- he's like, oh, I understand what that means or said something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> so then we get into our major story. Carla is asking Sam if the mail has come in, and she looks at it. She throws a pile on the bar and spits on it, and she, you know they're wondering what's going on with her. So she's, you know, she's finally admits that she hasn't had a date in a long time. She's put this ad in the personal um, section, and like a Boston scene, and she talks about something about how her dates that she's had recently have either been geeks or those studying to enter the geekhood, and. Goes on with like how she, you know, just she's basically kind of depressed about this. And -hmm. so the guys want to help. And they all like they're going to stop and think, and they all think. And Cliff kind of looks upward. They're they're all lost in thought. Cliff looks upward, and then he's like, hey. And he tells Sam he has a crack in the ceiling. (laughs) So it's not going well in terms of helping Carla. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I like the setup of them like genuinely wanting to help her, but you know that this is. And you can already tell just by the way that they are and who's involved in this that it might not be the best idea. Whatever they come right. up with might not be the best idea. Right. And in a way, is it's funny because I felt like Norm kind of presaged, presaged that uh, that uh, f- fact of what eventually happens. He's like, well, how, you know, at least there's something like, you know, four brains plus whatever Cliff's got. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, yeah, so you're right. I mean, I definitely, you know, you see where it's going. At least I did. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, it's are they really going to be that dumb and do what I think they're going to do? And they do. (laughs) They did. Yep. So Carla points to her ad and she says it's near the ad speed eater seeks same, (laughs) which you can't imagine. So Carla, Sam reads Carla's ad. It's very honest. And she specifies at the end that she has six children. It's something about like, this is not a misprint, six children. Right. (laughs) Um, Norm suggests lying, and then ultimately Carla, you know, there's back and forth about that. Carla is in no mood for their jokes and cheer and so forth. So after she leaves, it's Woody that suggests that one of them write to her, which I think is mm-hmm. interesting because Woody often comes up with whatever the idea is that they're going to do, I think. But Sam picks this up um, and yeah. just, like, talks about making up a guy. Norm thinks it's too risky, and Woody... Um, what was it? He said that she'd suspect something the minute she met him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. a great Woody comment. Like, she, they made up someone she suspected the minute they met him. Um, and Woody. So this does prompt Sam to think of not getting to that stage, but it's like something in the meantime to give her hope, which will give her confidence, which will make her feel more attractive is what he says. Mm. So they put their hands in for this, like, all-for-one hand gesture. I don't know what you call that. Like, the hands in the middle, you know. And then Woody mentioned that Cliff has soft hands like a girl. Yeah. <laughs> like Mr. Clavin. <laughs> Mr. Clavin. 
I really, let me just take a moment of appreciation for Woody Boyd, if we may. Um, oh, yes. I really enjoy how they have introduced him and how he's kind of increasing in, in his his involvement with things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I just, I like it. Because, again, it's he is like coach, you know, 50 years younger, basically. Um, right. And I think I really like how, uh, another level, actually, you know, coach was very smart and very wise in his own way. Woody's just like this, this you know, moon-eyed, naive, innocent kind of guy. But he, I don't know, mm-hmm. just he plays it off so well. And I really like how they're bringing him into the fold. Oh, yeah, I do, too. I do, too. And he does have things at which he's clever. Like, not that this idea is clever, but the fact that he's the one that's like, well, one of us could write to her, you know. He mm-hmm, sometimes sure. is, has his moments of, like, of you know, elimination right. or whatever. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, Just like the, Coach, the right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. But I definitely think they're doing a, a nice job writing him and integrating him. And then just Woody Harrelson playing him with that kind of, there's that sort of like aw shucks laugh that he has sometimes, even when the joke's yeah. at his expense that I really like. Mm-hmm. It's very believable that he's like from the Midwest, though, right? Just kind of this, mm-hmm. at least the stereotype, I should say, of, of this, you know, corn-fed farm boy, whatever, you know, coming to Boston, <laughs> right. basically. So I, I just love the fact that he's from Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of just like wowed still by being in the big city, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they are, the guys are huddled around and they're discussing who this imaginary man should be. And then Norm thinks the guy shouldn't be too fabulous. And Sam says it should be somebody that's not in her league usually. So then Cliff suggests they make him a postman. (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of comes back in the letter that we're going to hear in a few minutes. Just a little bit. And then Woody mentions that Carla requested a picture. So... (laughs) Norm saves a day, pulls out his wallet, and has like the, um, the the wallet model photo. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he's apparently just kept around in his wallet as a placeholder, um, which does seem like something Norm would do. It seems like he just kind of would be like, "Well, that's good enough," and wouldn't bother to right. It like out, he's just know? almost lazy to the point where you know, oh, okay, I came with it. You know, why why get rid of it? <laughs> Part of the wallet. <laughs> yeah, and it's just yeah, he has it for such an occasion. You know. Yep. Okay, so time goes by. Sam checks the mail and announces a letter for Carla. So they have written the letter off to her in response, and she's gotten this letter back. And he wants to know, like, what's the magic word? And Carla asks for the letter. She says gelding. And he's like, that's the one. (laughs) Um, Carla acts very rough and tough about men in this episode, kind of as a defense mechanism, I think. Like, here she is with Sam, and then later on with Sam – and then, you know, she's kind of at first mocking the person that wrote the letter. And then later there's the scene with Vinny and she's like screaming at him. So she's kind of in her aggressive mode, I think. Aggressive, defensive. Oh, she, certainly. The, she certainly is. The whole way through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Carla tells everybody to gather around for a good laugh. And she reads the letter and she's mocking it and then is intrigued when he says he's not much for bars in the single scene. And then she's excited when the writer says he's an international airline pilot. Which is, of course, the reason they can't meet in person. Mm-hmm. So she's enthusiastic. And I, I think had she not been, she would have been suspicious at the end when he ends with, we'll have to depend on the U.S. Postal Service. Because <laughs> that, to me, seems like a dead giveaway that 
Cliff may have had a hand in writing it. Exactly. You would think she'd pick up on that almost. Right. But I think she's been enchanted by this like, the bit in between about the type of person he is, maybe. Mm-hmm. Whether that's believable or not, I think that's what we're, what we're thinking here. <laughs> right. So this guy's name is Mitch Wainwright. And then the P.S. is that he really loves kids. So everybody's excited, like, wow, she just hit the mother load with this guy, you know, with this letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and this whole time, as the letter gets better and better, I noticed that Diane has been making these skeptical expressions with, like, international pilot and loves kids, all of this. Yeah. And so she's kind of exercise, or suggesting caution, Carla exercise caution. And Carla just thinks he sounds great. If he's half as good as he sounds, he's twice as good as any of the other dirt bags, she calls them, that she's dated. <laughs> so. And then she says something about, like, she just wishes he'd send a picture. And <laughs> Woody volunteers, he did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> Sam elbows him. <gasps> and then Norm's like, he probably did. He probably did check the envelope. So sure enough, there's this model picture Diana's suspicious again um, and wants to know if it's Sam's handiwork. Because um, they're kind of like, they're proud. They're pleased with themselves at this point. They're proud. Yeah. And they all make that, all the guys make that high pitched, I can't, it's like that, like, ah, sound that Cliff does, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. great. That was really funny. So then Sam explains that Carla was depressed and they're trying to help her. And. Diane says that she's gonna be more depressed when she goes after the man of her dreams and finds Sam there. So they're you know they're just certain she's not gonna find out. Mm-hmm. So at this point, so they're carrying on, and Carla's still with her letter at the other end of the bar, and another bar patron notices that the photo of Mitch Wainwright looks familiar, and then remembers that he just purchased a frame at Woolworths that has that same photo in it. <laughs> and they think that all the guys, you know, think that's the end. And Carla's like, oh, my God, he's a model, too. So she's really kind of convincing herself at this point, I think. But she just wants right. to believe that this man has written to her. It's it's kind of surprising in a way that, I don't know, I found it a little surprising that as a character she got so quickly swept up in it. I don't yeah. know. But. I kind of do, too. Because it really is just within the reading of that letter. You'd think she'd be skeptical and maybe write back. And then, like, a few letters in, she would perhaps be this way if it continued. But mm-hmm. within one letter, seems a bit far-fetched. But I'm also thinking, on the other hand, of the episode when they all... It was her birthday, and they were all getting her gifts. And it turned out they were all gag gifts. Do you remember that? Yes. Oh, yeah. Because every time she got one, she was just like, "Oh, now this person knows how to get a real gift," and she's really like, enthusiastic and genuine, and is like, mm-hmm. grateful that they've gotten her like a sincere gift, and then it turns into a gag gift every time. But she still each time she'll start being yeah. like, "Oh, what's this?" And she's like, "Oh, this is really nice," and then it goes downhill. So mm-hmm. she kind of is, you know, a little bit hopeful to the point of being gullible. I think some on occasion. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, I can see that. So Norm asked Carla if um, if she's received the latest edition of the Mitch Gazette. <laughs> Diane thinks still thinks it's not right. Um, and there's this little back and forth. That Sam says to give Carla to Diane to give Carla her moment in the sun. After all, you had yours with me, and she makes some <laughs> comment like, "You're not referring to that nanosecond under a pen light, are you?" Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. So that was all, like, the whole Mitch situation is set up and took up really the entire, you know, bulk of the first half of the episode. 
since Diane went to the mime class. And I not really thought about the mime storyline again after we got involved with Carla's, you know, letter and what Uh the guys were doing and creating this person. I was more absorbed in that. Did not even think about a follow-up to the mime situation. But here comes one into the bar. She won't let it die. No. Sorry. (laughs) No, she won't. (laughs) Right. So that plot comes back. And Sam is like, oh, no. (laughs) Which is kind of what I would feel like, I think, too. Yep. So he's the mom is doing this routine at the door, um, and Diane introduces him as Soto the mine. It's like Lev, what was his real name? It was like Lev Igajanian or something like that. I can't remember his actual name, but he was right. he's the resident mime, mime in residence at the college, basically. Which I didn't really know they had such things, but I, could, I don't know that world, the world of the mimes very well, I guess. Well, you know, whatever. Uh whatever uh, high-class school she's going to clearly has a program for it. So. Right. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> right, right. Right. There are all kinds of ways to, to get by. So Woody comes around and introduces himself to Soto, and he's yelling his name, like, very slowly yelling <laughs> that he's Woody Boyd. <laughs> and Diane tells Woody that he doesn't have to shout, and Woody's like, oh, he's a lip reader. He thinks that he really is. Stuff and... And mute, I guess. Can't speak. Right. So Diane thinks it would just be wonderful if Soto would perform for the customers. And then she tells Sam that she predicts that he'll fall in love with this art form, as she refers to it. So, And I decided at this point in the episode, I'm curious what you think of this, but what I think is what annoys people about mimes is not necessarily just their routines, but the expectation that you appreciate it. Because that's baked into what they're doing. Mm. in a way that is not necessarily the same even in other performance art it just doesn't seem like it's in your face expecting you to be like laughing and happy and think it's really funny or cool or whatever whereas mimes at least in and of this sort most of the thing is like how much you respond to them Mm -hmm. so i feel like that's what sam doesn't like as well that's an interesting like obvious and in your face kind of thing right right I've never really, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, the whole, something about it, the whole mime or meme, I have kind of a, a not a fear, but a resistance to clowns and mimes and mm. that whole sort of thing. I don't know. Just, I never had an interest in it. I think the mimes, I think it's kind of creepy just to be honest right. with you, the makeup and all that. So yeah. when I, when they did this as, as a subplot, if you want to call it that, it was just kind of like, I wasn't, I was not into it at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was not. It is a little, well, it's those forced expressions and they're kind of frozen in place, both Mm -hmm. in the makeup and in the way the person performs. I think that's kind of creepy as well. But it is also just the requiring of your attention. And that's kind of what I think about clowns too. The same sort of creepiness and the same sort of like Mm -hmm. they're wanting you to pay attention to them Mm -hmm. all the time. No, I don't like that. So anyway, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I don't have to deal with it. Sam does. So Soto jumps onto the bar, and he does this begging routine, to which Sam says, this is the stuff I hate. See, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just have to kind of keep paying attention to him. So Exactly. Sam, though, is going to be generous, and he lets Soto stay, provided that he doesn't get in the way. At this point, Carla is reporting on her latest letter. She says that Mitch is in Cairo, and he's going to buzz the Sphinx for her in his 747. Now, <laughs> this is the point when I think... That's ridiculous. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. 
I mean, it sounds great, but yeah, I don't. I mean, who knows? And who knows what she has written to him too? I guess we never see that part of it, but that it seems far fetched. He's gonna buzz the Sphinx for her, mm-hmm. but she says she can't wait to meet him. Um, and then Diane kind of edges in there. It's like, well, when are you gonna get to meet him? So Sam is getting a little annoyed about this, and Carla just explains she has to wait until Mitch is switched back to the domestic group. And then we learn that she has um, received a letter a few weeks ago from someone she describes as fish bait. She said she would have settled for fish bait like Vinnie Clausen, <laughs> which was someone that returned, uh, someone that replied to her ad. So Sam tries to talk to Carla about this, and she disparagingly holds up the photo of Vinnie, you know, kind of comparing him to Mitch. And when she holds up the photo, Soto stops by and makes this kind of disgusted face. And Sam takes his hat and throws it down the hall and tells him to fetch, which I thought was a, I thought that was a good moment mm-hmm. of like anti anti meme mime behavior. Right. <laughs> so Sam says that Vinny's not that bad looking, and you know they're comparing him to Mitch. And Carla says that next to Mitch, Vinny looks like a weasel. So Sam reads through the letter. He's picking out these positive things and. How being a funeral director, Vinny's funeral director, he sees that seems as exciting as aviation to him, you know. So Carla has no interest, and Diane is chastising the guys because this is going south. Carla's given up an actual, the interest of an actual person for this fantastical character that the guys have created. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sam asks the group, well, why didn't we see this one coming? Diane makes some comment about, like, this is from a group that every year fails to see winter coming. <laughs> <laughs> but what I like about that is that Norm kind of took this insult in stride, and he thanks Diane for reminding him to take the screens down. You know, he's not particularly offended that she insulted him. He's like, oh, yeah, I have to take the screens down. I'm glad she said that. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed, too, I made a note at this point, but I've noticed it throughout the episode. There is an extra in this episode that looks remarkably like Edgar Allan Poe. And oh. we're up to the scene when um, Soto is performing in front of the bar and he's doing that like walk, you know, kind of sliding, walking forward and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the Edgar Allan Poe extra is sitting at the bar there. But he was previously sitting next to Cliff when the guys decided to create the man for, to write letters to Carla, like in the other scene. Do you know what I'm talking about? He's very I, distinctive looking. I, well, I'm going to have to go back and look yeah. now. I didn't particularly notice him, but... Definitely watch that. He doesn't have a role in the episode, but he's in at least two or three little parts as an extra, and he just looks oh. like someone from a previous time, and to me, he looks very much like Edgar Allan Poe. So That's cool. I'm going right back out. to check. I will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Sam escorts... Sam's had enough. He's escorting Soto across the bar, and Sam, Soto is continuing to mime and do these tricks, and Sam asks him to leave. He won't leave. And he's challenging Sam to a fight. So Diane intervenes, and Cla- Sam says something like, "Get him out here before there's clown white all over the walls." <laughs> I don't like that clown white, like as a color. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, Diane is going on about how her attempt at enlightening Sam has failed. As you know, that's what it's all about was just enlightening Sam. Oh um, yes. But that does kind of tie into the teaser, I think, too, and her wanting him to go to this the Jacques Brel performance maybe with her, you know? Like, she's mm. trying to get him interested again in these art forms that she loves. So she um, is showing Soto out, and she puts this hat back on his head, and then he puts it on her head. And then this is the point when Diane is kind of, like, more... When we talk about, like, her becoming more part of the bar this season, mm-hmm. 
because they do several several angry rounds of hat switching. And then Diane finally recommends that Soto do his robot, wi robot winding down routine. That's just going to impress everybody. And so Norman Cliff hoists him under the arms and throw him out the door. Diane closes the door. So it's like, okay, she's kind of like really one of the gang <laughs> and coming right. up with this strategy, you know. Um, I don't know that, I mean, I don't really believe Norman Cliff would throw someone on his face like that out the door, although Soto seems fine. He bounced. He calls it's back, all right. like, same time tomorrow? And Woody, he's like, he spoke. It's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> But that and an upcoming line, I think, are lines that Woody says that are funny from him, but wouldn't be as funny if somebody else had said them. Right, right, that's true. Yeah. So, the man comes in on the heels of that. A man comes in and introduces himself as Vinnie Clausen, and this is the line I'm talking about. And Woody says, "How do you do? Well, you don't look like a weasel." Yeah. <laughs> I like that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's probably my f second favorite line after the midget imitating Julie, mm -hmm. Judy Garland. So he, he just picks up, Woody picks up the oddest things that other people say, I think. Yeah. Because it reminds me, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what's funny is how Vinny just takes that remark in stride, like not mm -hmm. offended, just like, oh, well, I'm glad right. I don't, you know, just moves right along. Right. But it reminds me in the um, episode with the coat that Diane finds in the bar, several episodes ago, of Woody asking Diane to have her friend do that trick that Sam talked about, how he can stop a clock just by looking at it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the same sort of thing, I think. Well, you don't look like a weasel. It's like something he's heard that he's not supposed to repeat, but he doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. no. um, so Carla meets Vinny. She tells him someone beat him to her. And he says he's very sorry to hear that, especially after meeting her. Um, he just seems like a sweet person, you know, an earnest mm -hmm. person. So Sam tells him to stay, tells Vinny to stay, and offers to buy him a drink. So Woody goes over, talks to him some more. Who knows what he says? <laughs> but he goes over to talk to Vinny some more. And Sam has, you know, figured out that the gig is up. He has to talk to Carla about the situation of them making up Mitch Wainwright. So he gets her in the hallway and tells her to keep her hands in her pockets and tells her that, he and the guys made up Mitch because she was depressed. So she kicks the fire out of his shit. <laughs> I mean, it really looked like she kicked him hard. Mm -hmm. Tells him his scum. She's very upset. And she thinks they're making a joke at her expense, um, which was not what was going on. But she really seems to feel that way. Yeah. And asks what good would come out of this. you know. And Sam says when it came time to meet Mitch, they're going to have the plane go down in the South Pacific. <laughs> oh... Oh, bad answer. <clears throat> yeah. So <laughs> Diane jumps in and she tells Carla, she's going all over how bad what they did was. It was imbecilic and moronic, and she's going over all these different, you know, adjectives of what it was or whatnot. And she's, did you notice she's holding her tray like kind of in front of her as though taming a lion, like right yeah. in front of Carla? <laughs> she's like, she just doesn't want to be attacked. Right. Well, yeah, I got to fend her off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she talks about how they didn't want to make her the boat of a joke. They wanted to help her and so forth. And at this point, she says Carla should forgive her friends and take advantage of the opportunity seated at the bar. So they're telling her to give Vinny a chance. And Carla sees Vinny start to leave. So she screams, like, where do you think you're going? And Vinny just <laughs> sort of very kindly says, you finished my drink. <laughs> she screams, she's like, sit down. Yes. I, I really <laughs> liked that. I liked how she, how that, um, was acted and everything was, uh -huh. was perfect. 
she plays it really well because I mean she just screams it as violently as she can and then it's almost like her expression is almost like oh god it's like why do I have to do this it's also like she can't control herself you know <laughs> right so I just really like that expression so Carla is saying that he's not the worst thing she's ever seen so she's reconsidering and Diane kind of reaches in and pats Carla's arm and then Carla turns on her and Diane jumps back oh god I thought that was that part was funny the way that and Sam is kind of keeping his distance away from her, Carla too it's like she's an animal stuck in between them right right so Carla lets Sam off the hook and she wants to know who wrote the lovey parts of the letters and so he says it was him. And she says, like, you did a real good job. And he said, he's sorry if you got carried away, but with you, it's kind of easy. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was very kind. Yeah. You know, like, it was just a very sweet thing to say. Right. Um, and Carla says, like, so they say, you know, she's kind of covering her ego or whatever, but I guess her emotion. But I thought that was a sweet moment. Mm-hmm. So then Carla and Vinny are going to go out and... <laughs> She asked if he likes kids. He's like, I love kids. I have seven of his own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she hesitates, and then she goes ahead with him and wants him to pretend that his name is Mitch, and he's an airline pilot. He says he can do that if she pretends her name is Raven, and she's a Vegas showgirl. <laughs> so she says, like, you're weird. I like that. Yeah. So they walk I, off. I love how they ended that. I thought mm-hmm. that was just spot on for, for her. I did, too. And I like that the entire bar is watching as they're going out, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all seeing what happens to the end of the story as well. But I do think that was a good ending. Yeah, it definitely was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overall. So he's weird. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just overall this episode. I mean, it, it, it's it's a good episode. It is. I mean, it has just, it, it's got some great lines, like the couple that you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it a lot, too. And I think it's simple. I don't know that it, it's not like just a great, great story where you're like, oh, that was brilliant. It was hysterical the whole way through and so well woven together. But I just think it's a good, you know, character driven story in the bar. And I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And even like the mime part, which I think was definitely the lesser of the two stories, that has some like humorous bits too with Sam's reactions, I think, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a decent compliment since it's also happening in the bar. And I think that, in a way, Woody's oddball comments kind of tie those stories together. You know, it's just these people that he sees coming into the bar in his new big city job. What else? Anything else that you thought of? I did not care for the mime subplot here. That that mm-hmm. was just, I, as soon as they started that, I thought, oh, this is going to be painful. And it was. It was, you know, <laughs> the best part was when yeah. they threw him out, honestly. So mm-hmm. I didn't care for that. Um but I liked um, mostly. I, I liked the the main plot of it. I liked Carla in this episode. I liked how um, you said earlier when we started that you know she she's very def- defensive in a way, right? She's uh, not mm-hmm. defensive. I'm sorry, aggressive with with what she's you know wanting and and even when she's kind of in a vulnerable place here, when Sam you know confesses to what they did, she's still just her old aggressive self and I like how she just presents to um to Vinny you know basically here's what I am you know (laughs) she doesn't fake anything or try Mm -hmm. to present a different kind of image or anything so but she's still like I think not admitting admitting is not the right word but she's still someone that can be hurt you know or she's like kind of sure (laughs) through her 
aggression in some point. She's it's showing that she's vulnerable. Like when she's screaming at Sam about like, what did you think was going to come of this and whatnot? You know, it's like a, how could you do this to me type of thing. But yeah, but like overlaid with the aggression and the funny lines and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good episode for her. A good, simple episode. Yeah. I think everybody is used pretty well, you know, mm-hmm. as it goes. So I agree. Yeah. It's good. It's like, it's rewatchable, I think, because of just the sort of like little funny moments along the way. Mm-hmm. that will do it for us today you can find us on facebook norm a cheers podcast and on twitter at cheers underscore norm you can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places apple podcasts google podcasts overcast and spotify leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there thanks so much for listening Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Simi and Andy Lager. How's it going, Andy? Hey, pretty good. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. We are on episode eight of season four of Cheers. This one is titled Love Thy Neighbor. It was written by David Angel, directed by James Burroughs, and it aired on November 21st of 1985. So... Episode logline is Norm and Vera have gone out dancing with their next door neighbors. When the wife suspects that her husband Ron is having an affair with Vera, Norm's wife, Norm reluctantly agrees to hire Private Eye, who happens to be Carla's cousin. Elsewhere in the bar, Sam's enthusiasm over his interview on Dave Richards' radio call-in show is dampened by Diane's reaction to him, referring to her as one of his love bunnies. (laughs) So in the teaser... We have, it's kind of like just the voices you hear at the beginning. One guy's asking another guy if he's sure he doesn't want another round. And then the other guy says, kind of like in that tough Boston accent, like, let's get, you know, something or other, let's get out of here. So they ask Woody, what's the damage? And these are two kind of, like, I don't even know how to describe them properly. Just kind of tough looking. One of them's wearing, like, flannel, big guys, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you'd imagine if you had to go with the impression that you have that they're drinking, think like maybe beers. I, I wouldn't even think any kind of mixed drink. I would just probably think solidly beer. Mm. Is that what you would think? Yeah. Thing? Yeah, definitely. Beer drinkers, you know, yeah. maybe a whiskey. I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. Something like that. Like something that's just like straight, maybe like a shot or something mm-hmm. like that. You yeah. Know. So Woody reads their total and then they think it's a little steep. So then he like goes over the drink order, which was four peach daiquiris and three cream de menthe frappes. <laughs> I didn't know to, I didn't even know that they had frappes in the eighties, but I guess they did. Just right. Never even heard of it until like later. Yeah. So anyway, Cliff, who's sitting at the bar in front of them, he's reading the newspaper. He laughs out loud when he hears this. <laughs> and one of the guys asks him like something funny, dipstick. <laughs> and then Cliff turns, he sees these two, you know, imposing male figures and talks about the cartoon he read in the paper and goes over like what had happened and <laughs> I didn't write down the details of that, but he's like basically narrating this cartoon yeah. to these guys. And then one fella says, they, they thought maybe you was laughing at our drink order. 
<laughs> and Cliff protests, like, no, on the contrary. And then he tells Woody to keep the mocha frosts coming. I like the subversion that these guys are drinking. I mean, just the free fruish drinks yes. that you could possibly order. I did too. I really did. Yeah. This, I, I mean, it was clever. It was clever, and um, you know, Cliff, I, Cliff, he's something. He's something in this yeah. episode. We'll talk about that later. But um, mm, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I, this teaser worked for me. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was fun. I thought it was different. It was like just long enough. When we start the episode proper, Sam is coming out of the office and he's saying that Dave Richards, who we may remember from seasons one and two, is going to interview him on his radio show that night. So Diane has several negative things to say about Dave and about his intelligence, um, including that she finds it difficult to respect a man that has a bumper sticker that says, honk if you're horny. Which <laughs> Sam, I don't, I don't think people had that many bumper stickers like that in that day. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, but I think it was bumper stickers weren't what they are today, from what I recall. Mm-hmm. So Sam says it's pretty funny, and then Cliff starts honking. <laughs> and Carla's right behind him. He's like, oh, there's news, you know. Yeah. So already Cliff. Mm, yeah. Mm. So Norm's comes, Norm comes in um, and says the line, I never met a beer I didn't drink, which I think is a play on the Will Rogers line, I never met a man I didn't like. Which also was kind of suitable for Norm, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. his line. Sam tells Norm that they missed him last night. So that really does tell us that Norm must be there every night if they're missing him when he's not there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But that he must miss, like, on occasion, maybe once in a while. So Norm says that he and Vera went out dancing with the Henshaws, who are their next-door neighbors. And Carla's surprised that Norm likes dancing. And he says that he loves dancing. He could watch for hours. And that Vera is a dancer in the family. So this may be what you're talking about with Cliff, because this is when he gets started asking who Vera danced with. Yes, this and, is it. Yeah. And so Norm just says, he's like kind of nonchalantly, like the, the next-door neighbor, Ron Henshaw. And then Cliff starts to kind of needle him, asking if they slow danced, mm-hmm. or danced the slow dances with certain body parts rubbing against each other and... <laughs> What was it? Before you know it, you have to you're hosing him down or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And Norm is just saying like it was good, clean fun. Mm-hmm. So, seems like we've seen Cliff in this role before, kind of as the provocateur, if you will, of yeah a situation related to Norm's marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's not the first time, but it's just like he starts right in, you know, and it's just yeah. I don't know, I, I you know. It, everything about it the way his his voice and this it's just so condescending like oh you know here's what happens and he's just like you know yeah. poking the bear basically and and so yeah i kind of thought well shut up what are you doing right and it's not funny like that's not a teasing that's funny to talk right. about someone's wife having an affair with a neighbor like i don't think that there's any kind of comedy that's going to come out of that the cliff right. i don't know if he doesn't understand that and he just thinks it's funny but it's very cruel teasing mm-hmm so at this point, Sam gets up, or sorry, at this point, Sam gets the call to get on the phone for his interview. So Woody is the one that answered the phone. He's super excited to be talking to somebody from the radio station. Mm-hmm. And he asks the caller to play Roxanne and to dedicate it to his girl. But his girl's name is not Roxanne, it's Beth. <laughs> so this yeah. tells us, though, that Woody is still with Beth, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody is gathering around to hear Sam's interview. 
I thought that was a very old-fashioned scene of people gathered around the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was. It it was kind of cool, too. You know, they turn that little old radio on, and Mm -hmm. everyone's listening in, and they cheer when his name's announced and everything. (laughs) Right, right, right. And everybody's excited. Diane, except except for Diane, who's kind of shaking her head in disdain. And then she says something about, like, well, where does one send for the transcript of the call? (laughs) Cool, because him and Dave are just like, I'm good, how are you? You know, it's very banal kind of, you know, introduction whatever talking yeah so um yeah i i liked that she said that because i mean yeah it's obviously kind of snotty but it was it's kind of true it's like oh this is real hard-hitting stuff here you know <laughs> yes and then it's, right it's, away after after the introduction how are you i'm good blah blah blah. then it's right to the phone so it's not even really much of an interview it's just this real i don't know but right and the right to the phones is then silence yeah. and dave keeps inviting people to call and he's saying, like, all the lines are clear, and it is a toll-free call. doesn't have to be about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody at all. Mm-hmm. So then who do we have? We have Woody. <laughs> Calls to ask Sam where he put the olives. I love that line. I, how he delivered it and everything was just great. I really, you know, yeah. just, he's like, what? I, you know, he's had to call about anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you needed a call. I called. Right. <laughs> So finally, a real call comes in. The caller asks Sam if women are more impressed by a man in uniform. And then Sam, of course, has to make his sexual joke that women are more impressed when he's out of his uniform, mm-hmm. which delight Carla, Norman Cliff are just gleeful about this comeback <laughs> line that he's had, you know. Yeah. And then Sam, this is when he starts to get in trouble. He says a lot of the women he dated know nothing about baseball. And he says one former love bunny actually brought a book to a Red Sox game to pass the time between pitches. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) And then Diane is clearly horrified that she is that love bunny. So at first, her reaction is a little bit of embarrassment. And she's sitting there. I notice that she's reading Anna Karenina. And she just kind of like closes it and shoves it under the bar, you know, as though she's going to conceal that she would be the one that brought the book to the ball game. Mm -hmm. And Carla is like, who could that be? You know. I love, I, I've discovered too, I know this is hardly the first episode, but when she does, when she says Diane in that voice of hers, I just love when she does that. I don't know, something about her tone and how deep her voice can go. <laughs> that and Diane? I, I can't do it. Diane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's kind of like sheepish and embarrassed in front of the bar, but then when Sam comes out of the office, she's livid. She doesn't want to be included in what she calls the conglomeration of Twinkies that constitutes your sexual past. You <laughs> know, I gotta to... say, though... Oh, go ahead. I, I, well, so, I mean, I can understand why she would be upset to for him to call her that, but clearly mm-hmm. what it is, what bothered her about this is the fact that he talked about it on the radio, but, you know, and she, later she says something like, you know, now everybody knows about, well, nobody knows because he didn't name her. He didn't right. name her. And obviously he's been with, you know, love bunnies galore. So it, it's, he, you know, he didn't name her. And, and I, that was something that kept coming back to me. Like, why do you really, why are you so upset? You know, he didn't name you. He just said he went with a woman who brought a book. I mean, everyone in the bar obviously would know who it is, but the general radio public has no clue. So it kind of seemed a little, you know, whatever on her part that like, why are you so upset? He didn't name drop you or anything. 
Well, so let's talk about that because is she upset? Because first she's upset about that. She's, she's upset about being included in this conglomeration of what was it, Twinkies or whatever. And then she's yeah. upset because everybody's going to know. And then she's upset because what was it she says later in an upcoming scene? Because she comes in and she's angrier, I think, when she comes in later than she was even then at that first yeah. pass, you yeah, know. She is. It's like she slams her purse on the bar. It's so hard that the lady at the end that's just an extra like flinches and says something. Yeah. <laughs> Which made me wonder, like, was she really supposed to react that way or is that just the actress like, dang, that was <laughs> a lot. And she's mad. Diana's mad because Sam has, she says, cheapened their relationship for all eternity. Mm-hmm. You know, and like what they had was real. And she's going on and on about this. But so it's like, why is she angry? Or is it changing? And she thinks it's one thing and then it's another thing. Because she's had way too much time to dwell on her feelings about yeah, all this. That's, <laughs> that's why yeah. she's so mad. No, I don't know. It's, it's I, I get your point. Um I don't know. I mean, because later, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but later when he he calls her that again in jest, the name, and she's not bothered by it. So I don't think it's the term that she objects to. I think it's the fact that she feels somehow, oh, you know, we, you know, what we had, I'm just another, you know, love bunny, one night stand kind of equivalent. I think that's what it is that, that got her upset. But then I think the fact that she, you know, he referred to her as that on the radio was a huge part of why she was so upset as though she would personally be identified as that. Right. Cause it's almost like she's upset because he singled her out, but then she's also upset because he's lumped her in with everybody else. Mm, Right. And publicly done. So, so, but yeah, the line that the line that Sam then says later, he's like, "There's just no pleasing this woman," you know. <laughs> Truer words, you know. I mean, it really just sums it up, you know. Every he does something he thinks is innocent, funny. She's upset, and yeah, just no matter what he does, something's going to tick her off, you know. Right, right. Until she can write the script for him, because he's going to go back on the air to apologize later yes. on and she seems like it seems like that her ability like her being the one to write this for him to recite is <laughs> somehow going to make her feel better mm-hmm. but we're going to have the um the other contentious relationship story in the midst of this norm's neighbor phyllis comes in by herself and phyllis thinks that her husband ron and Vera are having an affair and she asked to talk to Norm separately. And of course, like everybody's standing around. So Norm kind of turns and asks the gang, like, did you all get that information? <laughs> They've been standing behind him listening the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so Phyllis is con- naming a few things that she considers suspicious, like Ron going over to borrow things from Vera. And he's talking about, or she's rather, she's talking about, what was it? The, the various implements, like we don't have a power drill, power drill, power that's right. Drill. Power drill, mm-hmm. like the type of power drill and so forth. Um, I don't know. I mean, Norm is unconvinced. And then Phyllis wants straight away to hire a detective. So when they are going back and forth about this, Cliff and everybody else ask Norm what's going on um, with their concern for him. So Norm asks how much they've heard. I don't remember if Phyllis had left at this point either. I didn't make a note of that. But I think it's just Norm talking to the people at the bar. And yeah, yeah, so much they've heard. And Cliff says, everything but the location where they're satisfying their pagan lust. <laughs> so they have Cliff, Cliff on one side, and then Woody thinks they wouldn't have an affair because they're both married. So you have Woody on the other side of the sort of moral perception spectrum, I guess you could call mm-hmm. it. 
And Carl asks, like, how old are you? <laughs> so Phyllis, okay, so Phyllis is still there. Phyllis tried, oh, she said she tried to call Ron and he's not home. That's what she was doing. She was calling Ron. He's not mm-hmm. home. Yeah. So Carla volunteers the help of her cousin Santo. Says he's a great detective and master of disguise, and how he could what is it? Like he could be right here now, and she's kind of like holding the chair in front he, of them. Yeah, he could be a piece of furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I thought he was a. Well, I mean, we'll talk about him when we meet him, I suppose. But I thought he was sort of a bright comic spot in the episode. So yeah. Diane thinks they should not give into suspicion, and everybody has a different opinion. Norm is certain that Vera is not having an affair. Um, he says that she loves him. He certainly loves her, and he's going to call her and tell her that. So he calls her and then reports that she's at home listening to records, and that he could hear Johnny Mathis singing in the background. So then Norm realizes that they don't have a Johnny Mathis album, and Phyllis says that they have one. Mm-hmm. So Phyllis, at this point, I've kind of formed a little bit of an impression of Phyllis. She seems like she's just very dramatic and kind of whiny just right off the bat. But I don't want to be mm-hmm. um, uncharitable toward her. But she mm-hmm. just—I don't know. She does. She doesn't strike me as trustworthy from the get-go here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it did. I—I I agree. She did come off a little whiny, kind of a little. I don't know if I can say, it, but you know, kind of, kind of neurotic a little bit. I mean, yes. obviously, you know, yeah. If if this is what she thinks, she's going to be. You know, that that's believable right. enough. But. Um, uh, yeah, that's kind of the first word that came to my mind when I was thinking about my perception of her as a character. Yeah. Yeah, kind of high-strung. Yes, very much so. And it could just be that that's who that character is. But to me, I think about the performance. I'm like, I would have been more sympathetic toward her if she had been a little bit lower key in how she said some of these things, I think. Because mm-hmm. I'm having trouble like like having sympathy for her you know i don't know she Mm -hmm. says that she's playing it up a bit much but again like maybe that is just the nature of her character Mm -hmm. um she is on the you know brighter topic played by miriam flynn who played the sister-in-law in in the vacation movies including yes christmas vacation cousin cousin Catherine. so i i like that (laughs) yeah right connection in fact yeah so carla's cousin Arrives. He tells Norman Phyllis not to hire him. <laughs> that they're letting themselves in for a lot of pain and heartache, and in mm-hmm. most cases end up in unhappily. Um, Norm makes some comment about that's quite a sales pitch that you have somewhere in this, but he yeah. says that people that don't know are better off. I thought that this was interesting. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting take on relationships. So Norm isn't sure about this, and then Phyllis says that if they're being made fools of, she'd prefer to know it. And Norm, I mean, I think that's an interesting comment. It cuts off because, you know, the the thought process that I'm having is cut off because Norm asks if they can assume it and save a little money. (laughs) (laughs) But he doesn't really mind if he's made a fool of. But just that that's what she wants to know she's being made a fool of. I think, I don't know, like that sort of speaks to her motivation in some way. Maybe that's beyond what we're supposed to take from this episode. (laughs) We're going deep tonight. (laughs) And this... I don't know. There's just something about that character. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Well, and then especially when we kind of see what happens in the end, the ending scene, it, it, I think it gives credence to what you're saying, what you're suggesting. Yeah. yeah. So Norm finally agrees to hire Santo. And so Santo is heading out of the bar and he recognizes Diane. And she says that he looks familiar and asks if he was an attendant at Goldenbrook. 
and he says that was his cover. And Carla says that she hired Santa to track Diane down at the insane asylum, <laughs> which is yet another of the many names we've heard attributed to the institution where Diane was. Yes, yes. I think that Carla's ex-husband, Nick, called it the Drooling Academy in one episode. <laughs> so, lots of names. Mm-hmm. So Santa remarks, he's like, oh, you're out already, you know, to Diane, as though it's premature that she's out. I like that, uh, building Santa's character beyond the bar, that he's gone and done these other things, and he has mm-hmm. these different covers, you know. I thought that that gave him a little more, a little more life. I liked that part of it. For a character who's really only in two scenes, it, it, he mm-hmm. he's a surprisingly developed character. They 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 crammed a lot in this scene, and then the, his last. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I I thought I mean, he came off as a fully dimensional kind of character. Yeah, he did. He did. You're right. And yeah, and we'll see him probably in fuller form in that last scene. But right now, Sam's going to go on Dave's radio show. He reads Diane's statement, and which includes the word faux pas. So he finishes the entire thing. And it was like women, like not women everywhere, but it was like all women of this type or something like that. So it was Living and dead. Women. All women living <laughs> and dead or something like that. Yeah. Yes. That's right. funny. Um, and Diane's kind of smiling as he finishes, you know. So Diane thanks him and he says, you're welcome. And adds a little love bunny. And it is very <laughs> fun. Like you said before, she doesn't get angry with him. It's She's kind of endeared by that comment, I think. Right, right. And then... I noticed on the way back into his office, Sam mutters, like, oy vey. Yeah. Um, exactly. But Diane is happy again. <laughs> yeah. So Norm is telling Woody. Woody asks about what it says that Norm's quiet. And Norm's telling Woody about this high school football game when he saw Vera mm-hmm. when she was a cheerleader. But he tells the story, not yet revealing that Vera's a cheerleader. We're supposed to assume that, of course. And it's a really yeah. sweet story. But then he makes this joke by pretending that he was with Vera and asked her to introduce him to the cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, no, it was Vera, you know, which is, it's a good story and I think well told, but it's also illuminating about how Norm tells all these other stories about Vera, I think, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have that sweetness. Like they might be a little too punchy at the time, but you know, he's making mm-hmm. up part or all of it, I guess. Right. You know? So Woody asks who won the game, and then Norm says he doesn't know, but tonight he sure knows who lost. And I thought that this was going to be only a poignant moment, because I thought Woody was asking who won the game in order to point out to Norm, like, see, you you weren't even paying attention to the game at that point because you were just so focused on Vera. Mm -hmm. But Woody really was asking who won the game because after Norm says he sure knows who lost, Woody says, well, can't you figure it out from that? Yeah. <laughs> that was good. That was mm. good. It was very woody. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a good scene between the two of them. Yeah. Norm it was. Woody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really liked um, Norm's story here because, I mean, yeah, he makes the joke, but I, I think everyone in that moment knows he's he's doing it just because it was perfectly set up for him to do it. You know, he's, yes. he's really telling a sweet story. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I really liked how it what it told about his character. I do too, and I think it fits with the, some of the other episodes that we've seen, like the one I guess I think it was late season two, when he had the client that the, all the guys, especially Cliff, were suggesting was interested in him, you mm. know, and he wouldn't have an affair with him. And then Sam talks to Norm, and it's very much the same sort of like 
little bits of hidden sentiment, I think, that he lets out. But this does just develop that more with her character. I really think the whole episode does, but in my opinion, it's particularly that story. Mm-hmm. I agree. So we have kind of the this ultimate scene now in the pool room. Norm and Phyllis are waiting to meet Santo. And Norm is kind of, he's fretting at this point. And he says, like, day after day, night after night, I sit on that stool wondering, why does she lose interest in me? (laughs) Uh, um, Which just, it doesn't mean he's going to change, but he, at this Mm -hmm. point, is at least having that question. So Phyllis is talking about how she couldn't have gotten through this without him. And the news is bad. And it turns out that Vera and Ron are having an affair, that she's going to go out and have an affair of her own or many affairs. Mm-hmm. And then Norm just kind of like knee-jerk responds that he will too, which is obviously not true. Yeah. And then Phyllis, this is when I start to feel kind of uncomfortable, <laughs> Phyllis talks about the difficulty of finding the right person. I just, it seems like she's fishing so hard here. Oh, yeah, she is. She is. Yeah. So then I start to think, I wonder if she set this up. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't know what is going on with this woman. Because she's sort of seducing Norm. And then in my notes, I have, again, this is making me uncomfortable. <laughs> and they keep naming these synonyms for adulterers. Because they're talking about, like, oh, we don't want to break up a marriage. Like, not like those adulterers and fornicators and all this. And they start to make out just as Santo comes in. And <laughs> he grabs, like, oh, this is one for the books. Oh, God. Yeah. And going on and on. <laughs> oh. What I, did you think of his uh, entrance? I here? loved it. I loved it how he does. He just walks in. He's like, "Oh my god!" He's just like, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's cast as this very world weary kind of private eye who's seen it all and has kind of right. become completely disillusioned with the the dark side of what he does, basically. And, CD, and right. CD, yeah, exactly. And so I, I I liked how they conveyed that. You know, he basically like I think in a way hates his job. And, and he hates what he has to do, and that's why he tries to persuade them not to hire him. He's like, just don't mm-hmm. go down this road, you know, just don't touch it, and, you know, but they do. And so he's like, all right, well, I mean, it is a job. I'm going to do it, you know. Right. Um, but, no, I really liked it. I liked his whole reaction. He's like, I, I need to get out of here. I don't want to be in here. I, I As he leaves, he's like, I feel a strong need to take a shower or something like right. that. It's right. just very, like, you know, I really liked him in this scene. And this is what I mean. He, he feels like he's someone who, you know, you, you know a lot about the character from such little mm-hmm. appearance in it. You know what I mean? And, and, and I feel like that's – he kind of stands out among – the guest stars that are to that level where he's only in those two brief scenes. You, you know, he really doesn't have that many lines and yet in it, they did a good job of conveying kind of who he is. I think. I think so too. And I'm remembering like from his first scene in the bar, I don't know that Carla was responding to him, but Carla made some comment and he's like, my cousin, she's a pistol. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> that was great too. Just the way he said that. Yeah. So yeah, really, I thought he did a good job in this scene. Um, he says he's followed Vera and Ron he has a conversation recorded and so they were at a restaurant and so they're talking Vera and Ron are talking on this tape and in the middle of it (laughs) they have this like comic bit in the middle of the recording like a tray drops and I think it's Norm's like what did they say and then on the tape it's like what did you say (laughs) (laughs) so it repeats it and Vera is saying that she can't hurt Norm and that she really loves him and Ron says something like, I know, she, I know how you feel. I can't hurt Norm either. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> which was funny. But at that point, I 
did have sympathy for Phyllis because, I mean, Vera and Ron are laughing about this. And then you have Norm and Santo listening with her to this tape of Ron saying that. So it's kind of clear just the differences in those two marriages, even Mm -hmm. though Norm sits on a bar stool every night and is not at home with his wife and so on and so forth. They're obviously, you know, not... And they, they they have a relationship that, you know, it seems like Ron and Phyllis don't have. Yeah. So Vera goes over Norm's faults, which are plentiful, apparently, including their <laughs> sex life. <laughs> Did you have any, like, quotes from that? I didn't write anything down. And it just... Yeah. Well, so she just says, you know, he's, she spends every night, he spends every night at some bar downtown, which is, you know, blatantly true. Um, right. And, um... I, I, the the one line I remember is he's not exactly like he's not Don Juan. Oh, Don it's more Juan. like Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. That was a good line. And that's when Norm's like, "All right, we've heard enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Turn it off." I think that the voice from what I read, um, Norm's wife Vera is Bernadette Burkett, who is George Wendt's wife. So I think yes, used her from what who was in a previous episode. She, she played... was indeed. Yeah, she played uh, Tinkerbell, right? In that episode, mm-hmm. the Halloween episode the with her and fairy Cliff. fairy tales do come true. Yep, in the yeah. episode when she meets Cliff as Ponce de Leon. Mm-hmm. Yep, so her voice. So Santo is happy about Vera and Ron. And to your point, like, he's just expressive. You know, he's talking about how they're two of the sweetest people he's ever, well, he didn't really meet them, but ever seen or whatever. And he seems pretty disgusted with Norman Phyllis. So I was like, came in here and saw the two of you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so he makes his way out and says, yeah, something about having a shower. And then when he leaves, Phyllis suggests that she and Norm could have an affair, even if Vera and Ron didn't. Mm-hmm. So Norm says when he heard the tape, he realized how much Vera m- means to him. So Phyllis gets really nasty at this point and says, why don't you just run home to your precious little wife? Yeah. And... He said like he will like after a few beers or whatever. But he's still kind to Phyllis, you know. He doesn't treat her poorly. Um, And she says she kind of comes down a bit. Sphere's a lucky woman and says Norm is a definite hunk. And then she leaves. Mm -hmm. So no, I liked I liked this part with Norm, just the kind of moment of self reflection when he's like Norm Peterson hunk. Like yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then the lady comes in the back, and he's like, hi there. And she's like, get lost. Right. <laughs> right. I thought that was well-timed at the end. That was. That was that was a good yeah. note to end on. There's a tonk. It was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I don't know. I thought, again, like, Norm has a at least decent marriage, despite his flaws and foibles. And it just seems like Phyllis, to me, wanted attention for what she doesn't mm-hmm. have from her husband or whatever it was. I just, I couldn't quite... Yeah. I don't know. I still, she's just, there's still something unsettling about her. She's obviously, you know, pretty unhappy. I think just that goes without person. saying. Yeah. So I'm sure that that's yeah. kind of what's driving that kind of erratic behavior. Because, yeah, I mean, so much, a, a lot of that, that last scene, a lot of it was kind of like uncomfortable to watch. Like it was just how yes. she was and how, how forward and everything she was with him and you know she kind of does that thing with her hand where she she wraps her little finger around his finger yes. and then like climbs up his <laughs> up his hand I know. it oh. was just kind of like oh my it was a little odd mm-hmm. yeah it's it's almost i don't want to say it's too much for cheers but it's just i don't know what it is i 
I find this episode sort of depressive. Mm. Despite, like, it has comedic lines. I think Santo's great, very entertaining. You know, things I enjoy. But overall, it's just kind of... That interaction between Phyllis and the way she behaves and Norm just kind of casts a pall over the better stuff to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's uninteresting or that it's bad, because there's a lot of character in it. But I just find it kind of depressive. I I, I agree with that. I, I can... I think I do in some small way, too. It, it, it doesn't seem like one of those episodes that I'm going to, like, want to go back to again and again. There right. are some good bits in it. Um, and I think Santo was a great character, a great... He's not even really a supporting character. He's just... I mean, he... No, he, he's just a bit part. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so there were definitely some good parts, good lines in it. But, yeah, on the whole, that last scene kind of... I don't know what else they would have done, but it, it did kind of damper it down for me. Mm-hmm. I just think that she overall, it's almost like too heavy. And I don't expect Cheers to always be lighthearted because there's certainly times when they have serious moments that aren't, you know, necessarily melodramatic. But this just was almost too dark in a way. Or there's mm-hmm. just too much more going on with her yeah. than was suited to be in a story with Norm. I agree with that. It's like too much unresolved, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it's not that people don't have problems on Cheers, but it's like, she's just too disturbing to me. Yeah, it's almost like she kind of comes in and just kind of brings the atmosphere down a little bit. You right. Know, which, right. I mean, I guess given the circumstances, it's understandable. But again, yeah, it doesn't, it still doesn't mean that it's a completely enjoyable, you know, story or whatever. The, right. the plot line there. fine with that normally. Like, I think that mm-hmm. some stories can be just like unenjoyable like you can appreciate them and not enjoy it or not feel comfortable the whole time and still gain value from it and there's some characters that can be unlikable either guest characters like that or even the main characters sometimes can do something that's very unlikable and flawed but Mm -hmm. i just don't see i don't know there's just not a balance with her i don't think Mm -hmm. to me that made it one that i like i really would not enjoy watching it again and was sort of mm-hmm. hesitant even going into it. I was like, Oh, I remember this. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Not enough in my mind to make it stand out as one to return to all that often. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could like completely describe or put my finger on what it is that like makes me so unsettled about her mm-hmm. and her interaction with Norm. I mean, aside from the finger thing, <laughs> <laughs> right. But Yeah. Um, I feel like there should be other things in the episode that offer levity, but then by the end, it's just kind of, it's just weighted. It's it's just too much mm-hmm. of that dramatic weight, emotional weight, I think. Right, right. That will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening.